Any of you ever hit a deer in your vehicle? How come, how come deer jump across the road? Why do they do that? Suicide, huh? I'll get to the other side. I ain't figured out yet exactly what possesses a deer to jump across the road. They're just as content as they could be sitting there on the side of the road until the vehicle decides to come in front. But I was listening to a guy one time and he said he... He was riding down the road and a girl was sitting in the passenger seat beside him and they passed one of them deer crossing signs and she looked at him and said, why in the world did they put them signs up? Deer can't read. <laughs> and it made me think, you know, the deer are not responsible for jumping across the road, for getting hit, for damaging your car. It may be the reason, it may be the problem, but the deer are not responsible. They can't read. They don't know that they're not supposed to cross that white line. They don't know what the white line means. They just know that no grass grows right here, but there's grass on both sides of it. That's all that the deer know. They don't know that they're not supposed to walk out in front of those headlights that are coming your direction. If you're breathing real heavy in the deer stand and your breath turns to you know steam, they'll see it. But they'll jump in front of a moving vehicle. But they're not responsible. They don't know no better. Romans chapter number 1, we're going to read... One verse, in verse number 20. The book of Romans, chapter number 1, verse number 20. If you're able, let's stand for the reading of God's Word tonight. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and the Godhead, so that they, referring to us, are without excuse. Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us to come and get at your house tonight. God, thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord, help us tonight as we look into your word that we can do so with open hearts. God, feed us of your word tonight. Help us so we can live closer to you. God, that we can trust you more. God, that we, we could beg your forgiveness for the sin that is in our life. And God, whenever it comes right down to it, God, that we can live a life closer to you that we can sin less. God, that we wouldn't allow anything to stand between us and you to separate us from you. And God, we ask all this for your honor and glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. The thing about knowing the difference between right and wrong is whenever you know, you're responsible for it. Whenever you know what is right and you know what is wrong and you do what is wrong, you're responsible for the consequences. The deer, they don't know no better, so they're not responsible. They don't, well, some of them pay the ultimate price, but th- there's no real price for them to pay. They're, they're just doing what comes natural to them. And, and as humans, as long as people are living in their sin and they're not convicted to God, they're doing the same thing. They're just doing what comes natural. And what comes natural is, is very, very wrong. And, and there comes a point in time in everyone's life, every single individual, bar none, that they are presented with... Uh, now they are presented with this right here. The invisible things uh, of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and the Godhead, so that we are without excuse. It comes to a point that we become knowledgeable, we become uh, aware of the state that we're in. And, and most of you here have probably found yourself in that place. A, a lot of Baptists calls it the age of accountability. The place that we are now responsible for what we do, where we do, how we do, we were responsible for our sin. We are responsible for our wrong. 
And what I want to grab from this verse before we head over to Psalms is that they are without excuse. Turn to Psalm chapter number five. Without excuse. Psalm chapter 5, verse 1, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For unto thee will I pray. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness. Neither shall evil dwell with thee. So many of these psalms begin with, uh, Lord, hear me, Lord, or just look at chapter 4, hear me when I call. So many of them begin with, Lord, hear me, Lord, pay attention to me, Lord, I'm, I'm calling out to you, I'm crying to you. And whenever we, uh, I know I do it, and when a lot of people pray, they say, uh, dear God, Heavenly Father, hear me. God, here I am. Whenever some of the, the Old Testament prophets would pray, they would say, oh, Lord. Here am I. And they'll begin to pray into God. The first thing that we want God to do is we want Him to hear our words. But the problem with that is is we can't separate ourselves from Him. We can't run away from Him. We can't put walls between us and Him and then expect Him to hear us. And then expect Him to hear our cry. Not only that, we want Him to answer our cry. We want him to hear everything we say. We want him to fix all of it. But we want to live the way that we want to live. We do it a lot of times with Bailey. If you'll eat two more bites, we'll get a cookie. We did this last night with gumbo. If you'll eat two more bites, we'll give you a cracker. Well, at the end of those two more bites, she expects a cracker. But what we as Christians expect so very many times, and, and I do, and I, you probably do too, so I'm just going to include you in it. Brother Randy, what we, what we expect of God is we want Him to give us a box of crackers and we do nothing with our bowls. That's what we expect from Him. We want God to give us all of the crackers, but then we don't want to eat the gumbo. That's what we expect. We want to live how we want to live, we want to be how we want to be. We want to give in to our natural affections, but then we want God to hear us whenever we call. David found himself, especially in this psalm, praying unto God himself, praying directly unto the Lord. He said, consider my meditation. Lord, hear me. Give ear to my words. Hearken unto my voice, my cry, my king, my God, unto thee. Will I pray, Lord, hear me. I'm, I'm paying attention to you, God. I may not pay attention to you ever at all, but right now, God, you're on my mind. I'm not sure exactly when in David's life he wrote this. But there are times in David's life where, where he found himself separated from God by sin. And I'm not saying that we are cut off. I'm saying that we are distancing ourselves from it. We live close enough to the Pine High School that, that whenever they had football games, we could sit on the back porch and listen to them. And we could hear them pretty good. But then the further that you get away from that stadium, the less and less you can hear. And I'm sure that way down here on Luke Pace Road, you can't hear it when Pine's playing football. Can't hear it none. And the further and further and further that we get from God, the less and less and less we can hear Him. And the thing that we never really consider is... Is if we can't hear him, if we don't pay attention to him, how, how loud can we really holler? 
before he hears us. I'm speaking metaphorically, of course. I know that God can always hear us. But why should he? Why should God pay attention to us whenever we don't really pay attention to him that much? So many times, and we're going to read a few of them in the Bible, people begin to, to disobey God. We begin to separate ourselves from God, and then we wonder, God, where'd you go? God, what happened? Verse number four answers it all. God, I'm looking to you. God, I'm praying to you. God, I'm, I'm even looking up. I'm directing my prayer directly to you. I'm doing it in the morning. I'm doing it first thing. God, here I am. Verse number four, for thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness. Neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. You don't have to turn with me. I want to read you a few verses tonight. Exodus chapter number 33. The Israelites, the, the spies came back. And they said, we can't take the land. We can't take it. There's entirely too much over there. There's giants, there's monsters, there's boogeymen, and we just can't go in there. Exodus chapter 33, verse 3, Unto a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in the midst of thee. For thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. God said, you have disobeyed me, you wouldn't believe me, and now I'm not going with you. If you want to run off and act a fool, you can run off and act a fool. Uh, Joshua chapter 7, he said, Israel has sinned and has transgressed my covenant which I commanded unto them. He told the people, whenever you go in and you fight this battle, you don't touch anything. You don't take anything. And he said, ye have taken of the accursed thing and have stolen and disassembled also. And they have put it even among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs to the enemies because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you any more except you destroy the accursed thing from among you. As long as there is sin in our life that we refuse to get rid of, that we refuse to acknowledge, that we refuse to rebuke, that we refuse to turn loose of, why should God hear us? Why should he give us the time of day whenever we absolutely refuse to obey him? It's not like God is asking us to eat gumbo. I know some of you may not like gumbo. God is, God is asking for your permission for Him to bless your life. God is asking for you to let Him increase you. God is asking to, that we let Him bless us. That we let him protect us. That we let him guide us. That we let him lead us. That we let him work his work through us. So many times the psalmist said in Psalm 66. He said if I regard iniquity in my heart. The Lord will not hear me. Isaiah 59. But your iniquities have separated. Between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you and he will not hear. At my grandparents' place up in Mississippi, there's terrible, terrible, terrible cell phone reception. So whenever somebody calls you and you, you really need an answer and you really want to answer, you have to step outside to get a better connection. You have to move to a different place. 
Sometimes when we're begging God to work in our life and we're asking God to work in our life, that there's things between us and Him, and I'm not referring to a shingle roof. There's things between us and Him such as sin in our life that does not allow for a good connection. Sometimes we've got to step outside to where we can get a clear picture. We can get a clear signal, whatever. We can get a clear service. And in order to do that, we have to make a change. We have to change our location. And sometimes in our life, we have to change where we are at. We have to change where we are going. We have to change who we're doing it with. We have to change what we're doing. And the psalmist here said, you don't even have to go out and get drunk. He said, he said if I regard iniquity in my heart. That's the sin that missionary Baptists live with most of the time. Because out in public, we can live pretty good lives. It's the sin that we hide that eats us up. It's the sin that we don't want anybody to know of that eats us up. It's the iniquity that we hide in our heart. It's the hate that we hide in our heart. It's the unforgiveness that we hide in our heart. It's the lust that we hide in our heart. It's iniquity. It's sin. And it separates us from God. And if we're going to allow those things to take over in our life, then, then, then we're pushing God out. If we allow iniquity to dwell inside of us, then there is no room for God in there. Hosea chapter 5. He said, They shall go with their flocks and their herds to seek the Lord, but they shall not find Him. He hath withdrawn himself from them because of their sin. So many times in our life we'll say, well, well, well I, just, I just didn't know. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure out how I can get that recording. Because I really want y'all to listen to it. I was going through some of Papa's old tapes the other day. Cleaning out, trying to make room for Bailey's bedroom. And, and he's got piles and piles of tapes of every preacher that I've ever heard of and still two or three dozen more preachers I've never heard of. And he had a couple of tapes there marked comedy. He was always real good about taping Hee Haw and some of them other TV shows. And so I, I did a little cassette tape. I popped it in the player and I played it and it was the phone call from heaven. Some of you have heard it before. The man stutters and says, Lord, is that you? Some of you have heard it. If you've heard it, congratulations. If you hadn't, give me till Sunday and I'm going to bring it to you. Sometimes whenever God calls, we don't want to pick up the phone. Sometimes whenever God calls, we, we come up with every little bitty excuse that we possibly can. And we're not the only ones. We're not alone. I want to read you a couple of more in Genesis chapter 3, verse number 12. Adam said, it's not my fault, Lord. It's not my fault, Lord. She did it to me. And you men, be careful letting your wife pick out where to eat. Remember what happened to Eve. Adam said, Lord, it's not my fault. Adam said, it was her. It was this woman that you gave to me. So Adam is blaming Eve and Adam is blaming God. He's not blaming himself. Don't that sound like us? That sounds exactly like us. Aaron said, Aaron said, these people made me do it. Moses come down off the mountain and he saw this big golden calf and he looked around and what in the world? You're supposed to be the leader. Aaron said, they made me do it. We threw everything into the fire and this cow walked out made of gold. That takes some creativity, you know that? 
Because I, I, I promise you, Aaron never saw a cow walk out of a fire made of gold. I, I don't believe that he ever saw that. So for him to come up with that took some creativity, but we'll do that whenever, whenever we don't want to get caught, whenever we don't want the blame to go to us, whenever we want to hide the iniquity, whenever we want to hide our sin in our heart, whenever we want to shed the blame to somebody else because the person who smiles when something has gone wrong is the person who has already figured out who somebody else to blame it on. If you don't believe it, watch your kids. They understand this. And as adults, we are a lot less self-conscious of it than we believe. Because for our sin, we'll blame it on somebody else. I said a bad word because he scared me. Well, I went out and did this because everybody else was doing it. Well, well, well I didn't make it to church because I just had too much going on. Well, well I didn't read my Bible because, you know, it was all the way in the front of the house and I was in the back of the house. Well, 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 I didn't pray because, you know, the house was so loud, the football game was on. We don't even say it out loud. We just, you know, sit in bed and we try to find an excuse not to read our Bible. We get up in the morning and we try to find a way not to, to commune with God, not to pray. Y'all, if we do that, that, that is making excuses to God that ain't going to hold water. King Saul made excuses for trying to offer the sacrifices that the priests were supposed to. He said, you wasn't coming. You were running behind. You were late. We needed somebody to do it and nobody else was around. There's not a single excuse for our sin, for our neglect that's going to hold up before God. Not a single one. The only thing that our excuses for our sin does is separate us just a little bit further from God. Because until we accept that we are, in fact, without excuse, we cannot move forward. Until we accept that we are, in fact, the problem, we cannot move forward. Because we blame everybody else. We're good at it, and we like it. Because whenever I blame somebody else, that makes me feel better. Because it's not my fault, it's your fault. Because it's not my fault, it's your fault. Well, as long as I can blame somebody else, I feel better. The problem is, the problem is God said that, it, that we are without excuse. We know right from wrong. We know yes from no. We know sin from holiness. We know the difference. We know that we're supposed to obey God. Solomon said, fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. This is our only job. Everything else is window dressing. Everything else just comes after. Fear God, number one. Keep him where he is at. David said, give ear. My king... My God, for unto thee will I pray. David saw God where he was. David saw God for who he was. David feared God. And, you, and we pick on these Bible characters a lot because they make us feel better. Follow me just for a minute. We pick on David for what he did because we say, well, David sinned that much and he was a man after God's own heart. So my little bitty sin don't matter as much. So we pick on David. We pick on Peter and say, well, at least I've never denied Christ in front of everybody else. And, and it makes us feel better. And we pick on these people in the Bible and say, well, their sin was worse than ours. Well, what if God wrote a book on your greatest failures? It'd read a whole lot worse than Peter. I promise mine would. Mine would read a lot worse than David's. 
Mine would read worse than John, Matthew. Mine would read worse than these men in the Bible that, that we find God put, put in here to let us know that they're human. To let us know that there's a lesson behind all of them. And yet we look at them and say, well, they're worse than we are. They're worse off than I am. That's us putting excuses in our life. That's us shoving our sin to the side and saying, well, it's not as bad as that person over there. We are without excuse. Fear God and keep his commandments. For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness. The middle of this chapter contrasts the holy and the wicked. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. For thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Now, several times, and, and I've heard it all of my life, that God don't hate sin. Uh, sinners, God hates the sin. Well, here it says that, that thou hatest all workers of iniquity. I believe that whenever we get to the place in our life that we begin to choose sin over God, that we are in fact separated from God. That God will hear us, but God does not have to answer and I believe that a lot of times, especially the way it is with me and my wife, she'll say something and it's in this ear, out the other, and it is gone, and I don't even realize that I didn't hear it. And whenever we separate ourselves from God because of the sin in our life, just the way that it works in my mind, that's how God hears my prayers. And we wonder, well, why is God not hearing? Why is God not listening? Why is God not blessing? Why, why do I don't feel the Spirit anymore? How come I can't sing and worship like I used to? How come I can't read like I used to? How come I don't enjoy church like I used to? How come just nothing feels right? Check what's in your life. Find that iniquity. Find that sin. Find that unforgiveness. Nothing, nothing, nothing is worth holding on to and allowing it to drag you further and further and further from God. When I was in college, we got this paint horse donated to us. And me and Romeo was assigned to unload this particular horse. And so we were going to unload the horse and we were going to hold the horse in the field, drive the truck out of the gate, close the gate and then turn the horse loose. They said it had been running wild for a little while and they caught it. They were selling a farm and they caught the horse and said the horse is crazy, the horse is wild, but, <clears throat> but she'll settle down what they said so the, the horse had split reins had a halter had split reins one on each side so they, they unloaded the horse off the trailer and she was jumping a little bit but not too bad so I had one and Romeo had the other and they said hold her tight so we did what normal people do and, and we wrapped it two or three times around our arm where we could get a good grip and that horse wasn't going nowhere and Romeo was he was a little shorter than I was but he was a bigger guy than I was too so I I wasn't a little old bitty scamp. We both had to hold to that reins, and, and we near about weighed half as much as that horse did. I had one side, he had the other side. They started driving the, track, the truck and the trailer out of the field, and whenever they did, that, that one of them gates on that thing slammed, and whenever it did, it made a racket, and that horse lost it. horse took out across the field. It was in the back of the pasture that we called the 57-acre field. It was not, in fact, 57 acres, but that's another story. The horse started in 57-acre field, and Romeo made it through one field before he finally let go. I made it through two barbed wire fences before I finally let go. The horse broke one, and me and the reins broke the other, and the halter finally broke. But the problem with it wasn't that the horse was, was responsible for what happened to me. The horse wasn't responsible for me tearing my favorite blue jean shirt and getting barbed wire cuts down the back of my neck and back. 
The horse wasn't responsible for, for tearing up Romeo's rotator cuff and get leaving red marks all the way around our arm look like we'd been wrestling snakes. The horse wasn't responsible for none of that. We were the knuckleheads that wouldn't turn loose. As our boss said, not to let her go. So we held on. Everything that happened after we decided to hold on, that was our fault. Everything that happens to us after we decide to hold on to our sin, that's on us. All of the dominoes that fall following that, the grass burns, the barbed wire cuts, the leather rashes on our arms, that was all our fault. Because we refused to turn loose of something we knew we had no business holding on to. In our life, we have iniquity. In our life, we have sin. And God said that He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. If we will acknowledge it, if we will ask Him for forgiveness, if we will repent, repent means to turn from. It don't mean to acknowledge. People get that confused all the time. Repent does not mean... Well, yes, I know. I should have let go. That's it. I'm done. Repent means not to make the same mistake twice. Repent means to turn from what you're doing. I heard a guy tell a story one time. He, he said, you, you can't repent of your drinking with a six-pack in a truck. He said, you can't come into church and say, God, I, I have sinned. I, I have gotten drunk and I'm sorry and, and I know that it's wrong to consume alcohol and I know that it's wrong to, to not be sober minded and I know that it's wrong and I'm sorry God forgive me and then walk out and, and open a six pack on your way home. That is not repentance. That is fake. That is playing. That is iniquity staying in our heart. That is lying to God. That is lying to believers. That is lying to ourselves. If we can't turn loose what we know is hurting us, if we can't turn loose what we know is doing us harm, then, then we have no business at all talking to God. We have no business asking Him for anything at all. For thou hatest workers of iniquity. We're going to read on down just a, just a few more verses. He said, Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. The Lord will abhor the Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. But as for me, I will come into thy house in a multitude of thy mercy. And we could sit here and we could spend a long time on the beginning half of this verse. He said, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, knowing that God is able to forgive us of our sin. Why do we hold on to it? Knowing that God will forgive us of what we have done, why do we hold on to it? David said that whenever I pray, whenever I call out to God, I'm coming into his house of mercy. Whenever we ask God to forgive us, whenever we ask God to help us, if we will do it truly from a repentant heart, then he will. He's that merciful. And he said, I come into thy house of the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. And we're going to leave in verse number 8. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness, and make thy way straight before my face. I don't remember how long ago it was. I was listening to oh, one of them Fox News guys anyway. They said, this, this bunch of people over here is confused about what bathroom to use. 
This bunch of people over here is confused about which box to check on their ACT applications. And this bunch over here is confused as to uh, who they're going to vote for, what political party they're associated with, because they don't like any of them. And this person over here is confused about the way God made them. This person don't know what gender they are. This person don't know what sex they are. This person don't know his head from a hole in the ground. And, and, and everybody's confused about anything. And the man said... He said that God is not responsible for that. On the news. He ain't on the news no more. He said God is not responsible for that. He said God made it simple. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 said that all of the invisible things are made known. Even the Godhead, even God, even Jesus. If the invisible things are made known and we are without excuse, then everything else is made known as well. We know right from wrong. We know yes from no. We know sin from holiness. We know iniquity from righteousness. We know the difference. Problem is, it's like walking through a grocery store. You walk into Walmart and, and, and the one in Bogalusa, whenever you walk in, they have all the vegetables and produce right here inside the door on your right. That's the first thing you see is everything that's good for you right here on the right. And whenever you walk in, you have all this health food. So, so you're feeling good. I, I'm going to eat healthy. I, it's going to be good for me. I'm going to pick it up. And, and so you get a, a tag of bananas in this hand and a box of grapes in this hand. And here you go. The only thing that you need is milk. So you head toward the back of the store. And then you forget, oh, I need bread too. So you walk down the bread aisle and here we go whole grain. And right beneath the whole grain honey wheat bread is Swiss rolls. And we love Swiss rolls. So I've got two hands. I'm going to put the bananas down and I'm going to pick up the box of Swiss rolls. By the time we get to the end of that aisle, the same aisle, at the end of the aisle is bluebell ice cream by the half a gallon. Well, we definitely can't give up our Swiss rolls. So we're going to give up the grapes. We lay the grapes down. And we pick up the Bluebell ice cream. We went in with the greatest of intentions. The first things that we grabbed, we, we were going to be, hey, we, we were going to be healthy. We check out with Swiss rolls and Bluebell. We can lead our lives with the best of intentions. But the problem with that is if we are leading... Intentions mean nothing. Billions of dollars of marketing goes into laying out Walmarts. They do it strategically. Because they want you. They know what you want. They know what your desires are. They know that you'd whole lot rather have a Swiss roll than you would whole wheat bread. They know that you'd whole lot rather have bluebell than you would grapes. And so they find it that it's convenient. They put it right in your way, the same way Satan does sin. He puts it right in the way. He knows what we're going to desire. He knows what we want. He knows what the flesh wants, and he puts it right in our way. And if we are leading our life, if we are pushing that shopping cart, we are in trouble. The trick to it is, Lord, lead me. David said, lead me. Samuel said, here am I. Isaiah said, send me. We allow the Lord to lead us in our life. He will. We've got to ask Him. 
and be on good terms with God, we've got to turn loose of whatever standing between us and Him. And I pray that as individuals, as families, and as a church, that we could do that. That we could turn loose of the things standing between us and God. That we could reach Him through prayer and that we could ultimately be fruitful. Because where He wants to lead us, good things will happen. Where He wants to lead us, we will produce fruit. We've got to let Him lead. Well, we have a verse of a song. We're going to ask for a verse of invitation. Someone has something on their heart. We invite you to come at this time.